Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Baldface Truth. <laughs> BFFT. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the Bald Face Truth. What was it that Dorothy said in The Wizard of Oz? She took those ruby slippers, three clicks, there's no place like home. She said that. I don't know what your favorite movie involving home or song involving home or or hell i don't know what your favorite home football stadium is but there is no place like home when it comes to college football i took a look today this morning at the home field advantages across college football and i found some astounding things we're going to talk about the pac-12 games that are going on this week we'll give you the week seven picks I uh, looked ahead a little bit at week eight. I do see a path to the playoff for the Oregon Ducks if they want to pursue it. But I took a look at the home field advantage. I've been asking players, coaches, talked with Jonathan Smith, talked with Jake Dickert, the Washington State coach, been asking them about what they think the home field advantage is in the Pac-12 conference. And you know what I'm getting back? I'm getting back a variety of answers, and I'm getting people who say, well, it depends which home you're talking about. Is there a difference, say, between the Rose Bowl in a home field advantage and Autzen Stadium or Reeser Stadium? I would say probably, uh, but I have always felt like the home field advantage in the Pac-12 conference is worth like 7, 8, 9, 10 points. Jack Coletto, the linebacker at Oregon State, told us, Yesterday on the show, he thought it's more like 14 points. We'll take a look at the home fields and the games of this week, and we'll give you our picks on today's show. We'll get a visit from Jaden Grant, the defensive back and team captain at Oregon State. They are preparing for a big game against Washington State. Jake Dickert, the Washington State coach, you'll hear him on tomorrow's show. Uh, He has uh, a couple of players injured, a running back, a wide receiver, an offensive lineman who had a targeting penalty last week against USC that will be uh, out for the first half of the game. I'll ask him how he'll adjust. Plus, uh, did he hear who's starting at quarterback for Oregon State? Ben Gulbrinson likely to get the start. Jonathan Smith told us yesterday on this show that uh, Gulbrinson was working toward being the starter in Week 7. Feels like he is going to be the starter in Week 7. We'll find out if Oregon State is... Uh, playing a game of poker, or are they being on the level there? But what is the home field worth in college football? In the Pac-12, you've got some teams that have great home records. Oregon State, for example, last nine home games at Reeser Stadium, uh, they are uh, 8-1 in those last nine. They're 3-7 on the road in about the same period. So you have Utah as well. Utah uh, not only is undefeated at home this season, but they are also 3-0 and at home against the spread this season. Home favorites are an interesting study. 
I looked at it. I wrote all about it at johnconzano.com. If you want to read that, you can check that out. Get a free subscription. Get a paid subscription. Whatever works for you. But check this out. The Pac-12 this season has played 28 games with the home team favored by Las Vegas to win. 28 times Pac-12 teams playing at home as a home favorite uh, have suited up this season. The record for the home team in those 28 games is 27-1. and The only loss by a Pac-12 team that was a home favorite this season was Arizona State's upset non-conference loss to Eastern Michigan. They lost the game outright to Eastern Michigan. That is the only blemish. Otherwise, the Pac-12's home favorites would be a perfect 28-0. Those same home favorites are a whopping 21-7 against the spread. So the home teams just aren't just winning the games. They're covering the spread at a 75% clip. So I am of the mindset that the home field advantage in the Pac-12 conference is not only evident and is not only you know apparent, but it is more apparent and more evident than even Las Vegas gives it credit for. When you see a number like 75% of the home favorites covering, it tells you that the lines may be a little bit wrong. It also probably tells you that there were some non-conference matchups that were awfully lopsided in favor of the Pac-12. Now, it may be true that this trend does not hold up as the sample side increases, but I think it's really worth looking at as we look ahead to this week's game. Uh, Cal at Colorado, Arizona at Washington, Stanford's going to Notre Dame, USC's playing at Utah, Washington State's playing at Oregon State. We do have some examples this week of three games where you have a home favorite playing uh, in the Pac-12 conference. Uh, And uh, let's see if that holds up this week as that 75% clip that we've seen and uh, darn near 100% win rate. Uh, it, it, we'll see if that sample uh, holds up this week as we get three more games. Steven and Sean, uh, how are you guys doing, man? I, I, I'm geeking out on the numbers. I'm always hesitant to go too far inside the numbers. Do you think I'm losing people by talking too much about you know the numbers? No, but I because I think it's very important. It, it leads me to the question of like why are home teams being so successful? Is it just this season? Is it a one-off? Is it because people are still like adapting to the whole COVID situation when there wasn't fans in the stands. And now it's a bigger reaction because maybe fans are more louder or just more into the game. Like there is, I think there's something to it. Um, just having fans in the stands, maybe I, yeah, I brought up a lot of questions for me. I was just interested in what you think about that. Like, do you think the COVID year has anything to do with home teams getting all the crowd back being more successful this year? I, I wonder, I wonder if the PAC 12s, the first thing I looked at was those 28 times that the Pac-12 has been favored in a game, you know, and a lot of them were non-conference games, right, that happened early early in the year. Now we're starting to see some conference games where you get home favorites uh, and road, road underdogs. But um, the Pac-12, those 28 games that the Pac-12 had the home favorite in, I wondered if the Pac-12's brand entering the season played a role in that. You know, as Oregon State is hosting Boise State, as Washington is hosting Michigan State, as you see some of those non-conference games, BYU going to Autzen Stadium, um, even though you know the Pac-12 teams were favored in those games, I wondered if the market didn't trust it. I wondered if the public said, you know, I don't trust it, and so they were betting those uh, betting those games uh, in a way that that uh, was making the line 
not as uh, not as big as it should have been. So I wondered if the public bet down the BYU spread or the public bet down the Washington-Michigan State game or uh, or certainly Boise State at Oregon State. So I wondered if the reason why the home teams are covering is because the public didn't trust the Pac-12. That's like that's one theory that I had, that the Pac-12 conference in non-conference games wasn't quite getting the spread that it needed, and it made it very easy for those home favorites to cover. So that was one thing. The second thing is maybe the sample size is, is just not big enough. And, you know, it's 28 games. But when I see something like, Stephen, you're, you're, you're our gambling guy. Hey. When you see that home favorites in the Pac-12 are covering the spread at a 75% clip, does that jump out at you? Yeah, it does. And it makes me think, why have I not just been betting on home teams? <laughs> Right? right, but at the same time, like it makes me feel like the market will adapt to that, and then it will, you know, start favoring those home teams by even more. So, like you said, if Pac-12 teams on average are getting six points a home at home, maybe Vegas is now making seven or eight points as a home field advantage, and it will start to regress back to the mean there, uh, and road teams will start covering. But it is very interesting, and you know, I think it goes to show, especially in a conference like the Pac-12, where you know Colorado is definitely weaker than all the other teams home field advantage really matters you know we talked about arizona state and how they look dead they come out and they beat washington at home right washington was rolling they were playing really well so i think home field advantage really does matter and i speak especially from college when you're dealing with 18 19 20 year old kids like to be home like that and have the fans behind your back i think it really does make a lot more difference than even in the nfl i'm also interested in kind of looking at uh, you know, as uh, home underdogs, for example. Um, it was really interesting to me. UCLA has twice been a home underdog this season. They're 2-0 and against the spread in those games. Washington State was a home underdog, and they're 1-0. and um, it, It's really interesting to kind of look at what is happening with home underdogs. Not the same trend. Uh, the home underdogs are 6-4 and four this season. So not as big an as advantage as a home underdog. So it's simply not the it's not just the home field that is mattering here. Uh, I think we're talking about good teams playing at home. Home favorites are especially interesting uh, if you're a Pac-12 better. Uh, coming up, we will uh, talk about the spreads, the games we like this week. We'll give you our picks. Uh, also, uh, we will deal with uh, the Big Ten. The in the Big 12 Conference, if you missed yesterday's show, a whole bunch of backpedaling by Kevin Warren, the Big 10 Conference Commissioner, Brett Yarmark, the Big 12 Conference Commissioner. There was a second interview posted today by the Sporting News. Fantastic uh, piece uh, in, in which Kevin Warren went a little further, and he basically just said that they are not aggressively looking to expand. Uh, and I have to think this isn't Kevin Warren. After reading the piece, I, I came away and... You know, for those of you who listen to this show all the time, you know that I have been pounding the desk and pounding my shoe on the top of the table saying they're not taking any more teams. The Pac-12 will stay together. The 10 remaining members are staying together. I have said that, uh, you know, not because I want that to happen, but because I have sources inside the Pac-12 conference who are telling me, hey, we're galvanized, we're on the same page. I also have media people like Bob Thompson at you know, the former Fox Sports Network's president who's telling me, hey, it doesn't pencil out. I also have some sources in the Big Ten Conference who are telling me that that, that Oregon, Washington, Stanford, that they didn't bring as much in, in media rights value. And, you know, I was told by 
uh, one of the one of the staff members in one of the athletic departments at USC and UCLA, fuzzing that up a little bit. But one of the staff members at one of those schools told me that when they agreed to go to the Big Ten conference, they asked the question: Is anybody else besides USC or UCLA coming with us? And they were told no. And so I've been reporting that since you know late June, early July, when all of this stuff happened that rocked everybody and the anxiety, and you got a bunch of message board honks in Arizona and, you know, Big 12 conference fans who, you know, are clamoring to matter again and they're losing Texas, losing Oklahoma. They want nothing more than the Pac-12 to just completely implode. But I've been telling you and I've been telling anybody who will listen that the Pac-12 is staying together. It now appears as though the Big Ten conference uh, presidents and chancellors uh, have probably huddled and, and said it doesn't make sense. We don't want to expand. The marching orders have changed for Kevin Warren. And the messaging has changed for Kevin Warren, the Big Ten Conference Commissioner. He is no longer saying, we're not done yet. He is saying, we're not going to aggressively pursue expansion. Which means, they're waiting for Notre Dame. And someday, maybe Notre Dame decides it doesn't want to be an independent. But that day is not coming anytime soon. And if I'm Notre Dame, uh, as long as I have access to the playoff, as long as I can get a deal with NBC and get a pile of money... I don't need the Big Ten Conference. I don't need to play Michigan. I don't need to play Ohio State unless I want to or unless it's in the playoff. So I don't think any more uh, expansion is happening in this cycle. But you can talk to me in seven years, five, six, seven years. Maybe something changes. But if you're a diehard listener of this show, you have been tuned in since early July because I'm not here giving you rhetoric. I'm not here giving you, you know, what I want and hope to happen I'm telling you what I know to be true. We're talking about sourced, in-depth information. Like, you're not going to get that in a lot of places. You're getting it here. I'm glad you're here for it because you've known for a while that the Big Ten is not taking any more teams. The Big 12 is not taking the four-corner schools. The Pac-12 is staying together in this cycle. Unless something crazy happens, that's how it's going to go down. But uh, I'm interested to know and find out what happened in the Big Ten world. My suspicion is the presidents and chancellors huddled, decided they didn't want to share any more money with anybody else, huddled and said, we don't want to disrupt the ecosystem that is the the Pac-12 conference. And frankly, uh, they have moved in their own direction and seem focused on their own business. And frankly, I think that's good for the Pac-12. Like if you're a Pac-12 fan, I think you celebrate a little bit that the conference appears to have pulled together and is standing arm in arm, and now can they get a media rights deal done? And that's where we are. We'll give you our picks for Week 7 next, plus Jaden Grant later this hour. Leave it here. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Talking about the home field advantage of the Pac-12 conference, it turns out it's pretty interesting. I wonder if the trend is your friend, though. We'll find out this weekend as the Week 7 picks will be made here in this segment. Get your pencil out. Uh, If you want to see my picks, you can get them at johnconzano.com. That's where you can find them. Uh, My Week 6 record against the spread last week, I was only 2-3. It's a bad week for me. Straight up, I was also 2-3. Crappy result straight up. Uh, my record for the season, 
I am 25 and 24 against the spread. I need to I need to be above 500 this week. Uh, straight up this season, I am 37 and 12 uh, overall. Week seven picks. Here we go. Cows at Colorado, 11 a.m. on the Pac-12 networks. Uh, Justin Wilcox and the Bears going to Colorado. Colorado and Cal both off last week. Um, Colorado has struggled to score points. They haven't scored more than 20 points in eight straight games. I think they get that number. I'm putting them at 20. Uh, at home, I think they play their absolute best football game. But uh, the Bears are a 14-and-a-half-point favorite in this game as a road favorite. I don't think they cover that. I'm going with the home team to cover. I'm going Cal 28, Colorado 20. Uh, the Buffaloes cover the points, but Cal wins the game. Steven, Sean, what do you see? I agree with you. I think Colorado uh, gets the cover but loses the game. I think Cal wins outright, but Colorado stays within the 14 and a half. It just seems like a lot of points, and we just talked about you know the home teams performing well. You look at Colorado's schedule. If they're to get a win, it's this game. It's this game this year they're going to get a win. So I think that maybe they come out a little bit more inspired, um, and they keep it close, but Cal wins at the end. I'm not as married to the uh, the Colorado cover as you guys are. Steven always says, you know, do not spend your hard-earned money on Colorado football. And, you know, the home <laughs> field advantage thing's great, but Colorado, I, I what's that place going to be, 25% full, 50% full? Like, I think the fans have kind of given up over there. Uh, I like Cal by 17. I think they cover. Yeah, Cal, Colorado this year has twice been a home underdog. They have not covered in either game, but uh, I'm I'm hoping that this is the game they show up to play. The next game, Arizona's at Washington, 2.30 on the Pac-12 Networks. This one's going to be highly entertaining. Two, both teams throw the ball. Washington averaging 357 yards a game passing. Arizona, 324. The And by the way, the last time Jaden Delora was at uh, Husky Stadium was the 2021 Apple Cup. Husky fans, you may remember, Delora won the game for Washington State, and then planted the Cougar flag at midfield inside the stadium. I think uh, Washington's players are going to remember that. I'm picking Washington to win the game. They're at home. Uh, but I don't like the 15-point spread in this game. I think Arizona's going to score a little bit. I'll take Washington 40, Arizona 31. I agree with you, John. I, I I don't like to agree with you so much, but I do right now. You know, Arizona, they're going to put up points. I think that if we know anything – Arizona's going to score some points, and that Washington defense is not that great, right? You gave up 45 to Arizona State, 40 to UCLA, even 28 to Michigan State. So I think Arizona will be able to score, uh, hang in the game. I think Washington wins, but uh, give me Arizona State plus the points. My counterpoint to that is that I think Oregon exposed some things about Arizona last week. I mean, Oregon basically ran for seven yards per play. I think Arizona's got a really big weakness in their front seven. And I think Washington, a little bit pissed off after the way last week went, losing to Arizona State. I expect them to bounce back, and I expect them to win this one big. 15's a lot of points. I'll say they win by two touchdowns, though. There you go. Stanford's at Notre Dame, 430 on NBC. Stanford, by the way, dead last in the country in turnover margin. They are number 131 out of 131. Uh, last week they lose, as we all heard, in the final minute to Oregon State. That was a backbreaker. I don't think Stanford can win this game, but I don't love Notre Dame. And Notre Dame is a 17-point favorite in this game. I'll take the Irish to win, but I think Stanford is going to hang around. Notre Dame 30, Stanford 24. 
Oh, this one is tough for me, man. I, I want to bet Stanford, but I, I, I can't do it. I'm going to go Notre Dame. <laughs> I'm going to lay the points that I don't feel good about it because I agree with you. I don't know how good Notre Dame's offense is. And after that slow start for Notre Dame, this is probably the highest they've been in the betting market right now. They're kind of back to where they began. So it seems like this number could be big, but I just can't bet, as I would say. I can't bet my hard-earned money on Stanford anymore, so I'm going to go with Notre Dame with the points. Notre Dame's actually been kind of humming ever since they played Cal. They barely beat Cal, but then they go to North Carolina. They win by 13. And then last week in Vegas, which was not a friendly neutral site to them, they beat BYU by 8. So I think Notre Dame's starting to figure some things out uh, under Marcus Freeman. And Stanford, what is it, 11 straight FBS losses? Now it's going to be 12 straight against Notre Dame. Uh, I expect Notre Dame to cover here. I think Stanford's kind of uh, a little bit. Uh, they're kind of a corpse right now. Yeah, I, I worry about Stanford's psyche. Was it was it shattered? Did they lose the game, or did did Oregon State break Stanford last Saturday night? We're, we're going to find out this weekend. USC is at Utah. This game is at 5 p.m. on Fox. Utah has won 11 straight home games, but the shine came off the Utes last week at UCLA. By the way, the last team to win at Rice Eccles Stadium was in 2020, it was USC. This game is huge. USC's trying to stay in the playoff hunt. Uh, the Utes, you know, they, they got beat by UCLA, as I mentioned. They cannot lose to USC because if they do, they will have lost the head-to-head tiebreakers against two teams that are undefeated and ahead of them in the standings. So I think this is huge. I think that the fans in Salt Lake City are going to show up. Um, you know, I, I, I am picking Utah 35 USC 31. The spread is three and a half. So I guess I have Utah covering at home. Uh, if the trend is your friend, that's what happens. Yeah, I just because of that trend, I want to go Utah. But you know, John, I'm gonna, I'm going to go against it. We talked about the poll that you put out yesterday. I thought USC would get the most numbers. I think USC is going to win this game. And I think you know, I I was on U, uh, Utah last week against UCLA, but I was not impressed. And it seemed like something was just off with that team. USC, they play this game, then they have a week off, and then they play Arizona, Cal, Colorado before Oof. UCLA. So if they get by this game, they're going to be 10-0 and headed into UCLA. I think they get this game over Utah, so give me USC uh, outright. I, I, I want to pick USC because I'm, I'm the USC guy here, I guess, but I, I really think Utah is going to win this game. I think USC, their schedule's been pretty favorable so far. They're yet to see an opponent like Utah, and they're yet to go into an environment like Utah, and I think Utah is going to be desperate. I think they're going to be you know, irked about the way last week went, and I expect Kyle Whittingham to expose some things with this USC team. So I, I think, you know, I could see Utah even covering the three and a half points, and I definitely expect them to win at home. I want to ask you guys, what do you guys think of the Utah defense? Because DTR kind of shredded them a little bit last week. I think USC could do the same thing. Is the Utah defense, you know, an at, like an above average Pac-12 defense? No, something's missing. Linebackers in the defensive ends are not the same as where they were a year ago. And again, that's saying a lot because Devin Lloyd, who was a high draft pick, was part of that unit last year that's gone. But they didn't look good against UCLA. But I have to give, I want to give UCLA and Chip Kelly some credit. Like, I think they did some things to Utah that Utah was not prepared for. And I think they exposed them. Now, uh, we have seen Utah lose midseason games before, even last season. They went to Reeser Stadium about this point of the season. Oregon State got them, blocked a couple punts, ran the ball all over them. Utah regrouped and came back strong. I'm banking on that, but I, I'm a little uneasy picking Utah in this game. I didn't like them on offense. I didn't like what they, they – they don't feel dangerous to me on offense. Like, it's Cam Rising and the tight end, and they run the ball okay. 
I don't see any kind of over-the-top, stretch the defense, take the top off the defense, wide receiver threat from from Utah. There's no Britton Covey on this team that can just absolutely punish you if you if you uh, you know put seven or eight or nine players at the line of scrimmage. So I'm a little nervous for Utah in this game, but I'm just I'm banking on the fact that Utah at Rice Eccles Stadium will regroup, and I also think USC's flawed. It's a yeah. USC team that should have lost in Corvallis. Uh, Washington State played them tough for half. They're just—they're not—they're good, but not great. And I'm at this point of the season, I'm leaning at leaning towards UCLA and Oregon being the best two teams. Yeah, well, you know, whatever happens, that place is going to be buzzing uh, over in Utah. And that's the one thing that I worry about with Utah is that explosive plays. I feel like if you're going to beat USC, you have to get some type of explosive plays. Oregon State almost did it without the explosive plays, but couldn't quite get over the hump. I feel like you got to get a couple plays. Where does Utah, Utah get it from? Washington State at Oregon State. It's the nightcap, 6 o'clock, Pac-12 Networks. Uh, ben Gulbrinson probably starting at quarterback, if you believe what Jonathan Smith said yesterday on this show. Beavers are a three-and-a-half-point home favorite. Okay, I talked all about the home favorites and how often they win and how often they cover. This is the perfect example, the perfect litmus test for the theory. I have Oregon State 28, Washington State 24. I do it. But I don't feel great about it because I think Washington State's got, you know, some better wins. But I think Washington State on the road against an Oregon State team that is very good at Racer Stadium, I'll take the beefs. Give me the beefs in this one. And I'm not I'm not convinced that Goldbrinson is awesome, but I think he's gonna be more comfortable at home than he was in Stanford. You saw some of the throws he made. Even that you know, the throw to Treshawn Harrison at the end of the game wasn't a perfect throw, but he threw it in a spot where his guy can get it. And I think he's gonna make some plays against this Washington State defense. Uh you know, Oregon State's always plays tough in Corvallis, so give me the B's and I'll lay the points. To me, these are pretty even teams. I would have leaned Washington State being a little bit of a better team, but then they lose Nakia Watson, the running back, and they lose the receiver, Renard Bell. And now I think that kind of equalizes it a little bit. And Oregon State's at home. I expect, I mean, Oregon State's had a lot of fireworks this season in some of these games. Fresno State, Stanford, I, I expect the same thing. I expect this game to come down to the last possession, and I say Oregon State wins by uh, less than three points, you know, three or less. I expect this to be a really, really tight one. Jaden Grant, team captain, Oregon State will join us next. Leave it here. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Oregon State home on Saturday night against Washington State. Jaden Grant joins us every week on this show, uh, courtesy of Jamba. Go to Jamba.com if you want to see the full menu, if you want to get your Jamba on, or get into your nearest location. College football season is better with uh, Jamba. Uh, Here is Jaden Grant, now team captain, Oregon State. A, A nice win last week. That was a lot of fun to watch to the end, and... Anybody who says it's lucky, I'm telling them you make your own luck. <laughs> yeah, it was definitely a, a thriller. Um, you know, definitely a crazy experience being a part of a game um, like that. But you know, obviously, as a, as a team, we don't we don't want to exactly be in those situations. You know, you know, too many times this season. So no, but what was that like? To you know, you're on the sideline when Trayshawn Harrison catches that pass. Were you watching the whole thing? Did you see it unfold? What was your live reaction to that? 
Yeah, I was actually with my boy Alex and um, Alex Austin, the other corner of the spot. And we were at kind of like towards the end of the sideline, um, towards our, our end zone that we scored in. And after the first play, we, we both just looked at each other and said, you know, we like our offense for seven. Um, and sure enough, you know, one play later, Treshawn makes that catch, leaps over him, and then he stayed on his feet. And everybody was just going crazy. You've been a defensive back in that position. It Correct me if I'm wrong. It looked like cover two, safety was coming over, corner was trying to run with him a little. Um, what did, what happened there? What do you like as you look at that play unfold? What what happened with the defensive backs? Oh, um, for them on that last play, yeah, yeah, yeah. It looked like they was playing almost like a, a two man. Uh, like the corner looked like he was playing trail technique. Yeah, and then um, you know, Trey Sean just went went up and made a, a great catch. I think um, one of the safeties coming over. I wasn't really expecting him to come down with the ball. Yeah. Um, so he didn't end up tackling him, and then Treshawn obviously just made a, a crazy athletic play, you know, staying on his feet. Uh, so credit to him. Yeah, you've been in that situation where you're trying to get over there, and for for people who don't know, like, you know, the, the quarterback's trying to throw the ball into that hole between the corner and the safety getting over. I just wonder, I, it looked to me like the safety maybe didn't see the ball. He was looking at Treshawn instead of the ball and didn't really react, you know, he kind of got turned sideways a little bit, but hell of a play by Treshawn Harrison. And by the way, hell of a play what, by Silas Bolden on a previous possession in the yeah. fourth quarter. I mean, that was a beautiful yeah. catch in the left corner of the end zone. Yeah, yeah, shout out to Cybo. He's, he's a baller, man. He's been making huge plays. Um, I'm really all the way since the start of, of fall camp, so you know, I'm, I'm glad to see him get going, making those big plays, um, you know, this season. What is what is a home game like for you guys because I look at your last nine you're I think you're eight and one in your last nine home games true home games and it it's it there's a different feel so give us an idea of what it is to play in racer stadium and why you think that's become such a, a home field advantage for you guys um, I think this just the mantra of um, you know defending our home turf um, like you said Beaver Nation Racer Stadium it gets packed it gets loud um, so just you know our, our our effort to, you know, return the favor for their support, you know, their their un, unfailing, um, you know, support over the years. You know, we made an emphasis last year, you know, we got to play better at home. You know, we got to defend home turf. You know, I think we've, we've done a really good job of that. It's just amazing, you know, running out this weekend, it'll be an orange out, you know, you run out the tunnel. You see a whole stadium of orange, it's, a, it's an amazing feeling. You know, it really can't. It's hard to put into words. What do you see with Washington State on film that, as a defensive back, you're probably looking at Cam Ward in the offense, but what do you see? Oh, I see a, a team that is very, you know, explosive. Um, you know, their, their, their passing game is, is vertical. I mean, you know, they'll spread you out and try to lighten the box, kind of play the numbers game you know, with the RPL. Um, and they're, they're a team that, you know, like I said, can, can be extremely explosive. You know, have some weapons. Obviously, they have a guy at quarterback you know, make a lot of the great throws. And then, obviously, extending plays, um, you know, they're not looking to just take, you know, little conversions. They're looking to make the big plays on, on extended plays. So um, I think it'll come down to, you know, winning on one-on-ones and, and, you know, defending those big plays. Jaden Grant is with us, uh, courtesy of John Bajuice, every Thursday on this show. Uh, team captain, uh, Oregon State, number three in your program. There's two number threes on your team. Uh, obviously, you got a quarterback wearing three, you're wearing three. That confuses some people. Do you uh, do you ever have people ask you that question? Uh, nah, never never had that. I think one time in the game, uh, when Tristan was in it, I think they said 
I completed a pass, and I think you know vice versa. The same thing, same things happen to him. It's funny because every game, um, you know, Treshawn's first catch, they uh, like the, I think a couple games this season they, they've been saying Achilles Arnold. Yeah. <laughs> so we always laugh when we're on the sideline. We hear that. I love that. Hey, Jonathan Smith. Um, after the game on Saturday, uh, the TV he goes in front of the TV cameras. Obviously, it's a very emotional finish to the game. But man, he's cool as a cucumber, man. He just, he just he starts talking, he's monotone whatever. I have to think like he has some moments where he kind of gets excited. Do you get to see that side of him and why do you think he tries to stay, you know, not too high, not too low? <laughs> uh, I just think how that that's just how he is. I, I just think he's just like wired, you know, that 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 be the word. If, if I could describe him one way, I, I would just say wired, you know, and everything he does. I mean, you'll see him before meetings, and he's always, you know, talking talking to himself and stuff before the meetings because he's just so wired that way. He's spot on, you know, with everything he does. He's always writing detailed notes um, about everything, which is something that's always impressed me about him. You know, he's just always he's always seeking input, you know. Um, so it's just it's been it's been cool to be around a, a coach that you know kind of moves that way and kind of observe observe the way that he um, you know goes about his business. After games, when you win, uh, you tend to go live on Instagram after the game. Uh, <laughs> is why did you start doing that, and and what kind of reaction are you getting from people? Um, that, that honestly, that was um, what the, this game and the Fresno game. And I think it's just more of a those were two you know comeback last minute, you know thriller victories. I think it's more so uh, that I really don't usually um, you know go live after. After wins or whatever, but I think in those moments you're just so excited, you know, you kind of want to celebrate with, with Beaver Nation a little bit. So um, you know, that's that's what you know some of the guys did. It's always cool, you know, interacting with the fans too, kind of seeing their raw reactions and whatnot as well. Yeah, what does that look like on your end? As you know, everybody's joining to watch it. You must just see names coming up and people liking it or whatnot. But I think it's brilliant because the emotion is so high after a win like that. People want to be yeah. in the locker room. They want to celebrate with you, and you you brought them into the locker room after that game. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I think it's just a, it's just a cool thing, and it works both both ways. You know, like I was just saying, you know, wanting to see, you know, the raw reactions of fans. I'm sure they want to see inside the locker room, um, as well. So I, I think it, I think it was cool, and it's always cool to interact with our fans. Jaden Grant is with us. Um, all right, so this this kind of feels like it. This this is an elimination game. For somebody when it comes to Vegas it is that on your mind uh, as you go into a game or how focused do you have to be you know away from that I guess you can't be really thinking about hey we got to win this game because it gets us you know it, it keeps our, our, our dream of getting to Vegas alive yeah no I, I think that um you know you, you just try to win every game to be honest and I think you kind of already knew you know our approach to it, you know, the process week by week, day by day. Um, but for us, we're looking at this as a big-time game because of the challenge of, you know, the Cowboys team that they are, obviously. And then, you know, personally, I, I haven't been watching this day in all my years here. Um, so that's, you know, been extremely frustrating. So, yeah, um, definitely excited for this game. And, um, you know, I, I can't wait to take the field on Saturday. All right. I want to ask you a question about another Pac-12 game because you've played Utah, you've played USC. Those two teams are playing. Uh, what should we be watching for in that game uh, as as it unfolds? You know that matchup. You know those two teams. Mm. 
I would say um, for Utah SC offense and, and Utah's defense, I would say who wins the explosive play battle, either you know hitting the explosive plays or limiting the explosives. And then um, Utah defense and and, and uh, no Utah offense and SC defense, I would probably say the run game, and then for SC defense turnovers takeaways. Yeah, you know, they've been doing a really good job of that all season. Yeah, they they are opportunistic. Uh, you've played at Rice Eccles Stadium. Is what's that experience like? Uh, USC's walking in there. Yeah, it's, it's definitely a, a tough place to play. Um, but like I, like I said, you know, I know Research Stadium is, is a tough place to play too, and you know they kind of weather that storm as well. But um, you know, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. It. It'll be a good matchup. Your, your home stadium. I can't believe how loud it is for for being a half a stadium. It's ridiculously loud. I, I can't wait to see what that's going to look like when, when it fills in on the other side. Um, Jaden, I yeah. appreciate you making time. Uh, good luck to you. Uh, go get another pick this weekend. Every time you get one, uh, I'd go Jamba. Uh, so it's, <laughs> it, it's been a lot of fun to have you on. We'll, we'll talk to you again next week, but uh, go get this one. Yes, sir. Thank you very much for having me. There he is, Jaden Grant, Oregon State team captain. Um, it's interesting to get player opinion on those two teams. Uh, by the way, uh, one of our statisticians, Colin, tells me that USC has outscored their opponents 55-7 to in the third quarter through six games. 55-7 to in the third quarter. That's an interesting stat. Keep an eye on that. Uh, Oregon State at home against Washington State on Saturday night. Uh, big game. Washington State will be without their starting running back. They will be without a slot receiver in the first half of the game. Will be played without uh, their, one of their offensive tackles. So uh, keep an eye on a fast start for Oregon State. And I kind of wonder if uh, you know if Oregon State uh, can take advantage of maybe some of the backup players that are going to be playing in this game. I'll ask Jake Dickert, the Washington State coach, all about that on tomorrow's show when he joins us. I want you to leave it here. Big splash next. Back to the bald face truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. I want to give a shout out here to school teachers, aides, the, uh, you know, anybody who has anything to do with the educational system, administrators, how about that? Uh, even the uh, administrative staff at your local elementary school. Man, our kids are off uh, here in the next couple of days or so as, as parent-teacher uh, conferences are going on. And I used to dread the old parent-teacher conference when my parents would have to go in and talk to my teacher. My worlds were colliding. My home life was colliding with my school life, so to speak. I didn't necessarily want there to be any communication between the school and home or home and the school. I liked a little separation of church and state when I was a kid. But I'll tell you, um, the reports that my kids get, far different than the reports I got. Like the teachers are, oh, your kid's a delight. Your kid's a, uh, all right, that's cool. That's great. But you know what I see in the schools, and, and I, I hope... You know, it's not just here. It's my brother who's a teacher in California and my sister who works at a school in California and everything. They are reporting that young people are less and less often choosing a career in education. 
I'm concerned about that. And I'm concerned about, like, you know, we talk about the great resignation that happened during COVID and pandemic and people just kind of got fed up and said, life's too short, I'm out of here, whatnot. I think we're seeing some of that in the school teacher ranks as well. So just a public service announcement. Take care of your local kindergarten, first grade, second grade, third grade, fourth grade, fifth grade, sixth grade, all the way up through high school teacher. Uh, fist bump to them. Shout out to them. Uh, the BFT Foundation is here to help kids in schools. If you know a teacher who needs something extra in their classroom, go to baldfacetruth.org and submit a grant request. If you'd like, if you'd like to help a classroom, you can go to baldfacetruth.org and you can donate uh, on the donation page. You can send a uh, fill a class need. You can buy books for a class. You can send a class on a field trip. You can do all sorts of cool things. But I feel like we really need to do a better job as, uh, I guess, a society or a culture of taking care of the people who take care of the kids uh, that are in schools. I, I think it's probably been a really long couple of few years for school teachers who had to adapt from classroom learning to distance learning to hybrid learning back to where they are now uh, and deal with, uh, frankly, if I can just say this, you know, I, I think in Salem at the state capitol, the state legislature should be uh, should be ashamed of itself for how how little it supports the educational system in our state and the lack of support that you see in public schools in our state. It's embarrassing, and we're not alone. Uh, I was talking to my brother about the staffing issues they're having and they're seeing in California. They 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 you know they have openings, they have money to pay teachers, and they can't even find people who want to teach, or they are handing out credentials, emergency credentials to people who aren't quite qualified yet because there's a real shortage out there. I uh, I don't have all the answers, but I can tell you that it starts with us talking about it, and it starts with us then trying to do something about it. So uh, if you want to, at the very least, support your local elementary school, support the teachers who are doing that, and if you're a teacher listening to this, bless you. Thank you for what you're doing because you're out there on the front lines every day. That brings us to our big splash. It's the one thing you need to know. This is the one thing you absolutely need to know today. Look, look, look at it. Where? Down there. The Big Splash. Well, the Trailblazers have a issue. The team announced today that Gary Payton II will have to wait to make his debut in the Blazers lineup. Uh, he is their top free agent signing of the summer. But apparently he's got a core muscle injury and a surgery that he underwent in July. And uh, the team is saying he is not yet ready. Uh, they, they expected him to be ready for the start of the regular season. Now they're saying he'll miss at least the first five games of the regular season. Chauncey Billups told reporters today, quote, I think we just want to be extra cautious with it. Uh, the Blazers signed Gary Payton II to a three-year, $26 million contract. This summer, he went to, underwent the surgery in July. Uh, the team did not disclose this until shortly begin the, before the beginning of training camp in late September, but um, this is a guy that uh, the Blazers thought that they were going to get uh, and have ready for the start of the season. It appears that he is not going to be ready. How big a deal is this, Stephen? Yeah, frankly, it's it's a big deal because, I mean, it's just preseason, but we saw the struggles the Blazers had defensively in the preseason Gary Payton II is the best defender on the Portland Trailblazers. 
So without him on the roster uh, for you know for at least the first couple of games against this tough schedule they got, you know I I don't know how the defense is going to continue to get better at all. So he he's a guy they really are relying on to be that stopper, whether it's the point guard. And we even saw in the playoffs when he was with the Warriors, he was switching on to Nikola Jokic. So you know, he's a guy that can guard a lot of different positions, a lot of versatility on the defensive end. So without him, man, it, 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 Blazers are going to have to score a lot of points to win some games. Give me some good news on the Blazers front. Like, what's going right for them? Like, if you were going to say you were only spouting good news in this segment of radio, what's the best news the Blazers have had maybe all summer or even now? I would say Shaden Sharp, the number seven overall pick. Uh, he looks like he has a chance to be really good. And the way I describe this is, you know, he's an elite athlete, which a lot of guys are in the NBA. But when you watch him play, he has really good basketball IQ. So you combine the IQ with an elite athleticism, and that's how you get a potential superstar player. I think at the very worst, he's a guy that's going to be able to get buckets. And sometimes that helps a team, sometimes it doesn't. But the way he moves on the court, he had a couple really nice cuts against the Warriors where he knew exactly when to cut and how to cut. Nurk hit him for a nice little backdoor. Um, he had a nice another uh, dunk later on in the game where he cut baseline. He, he has the ability to show off that IQ that he has to combine that with the athleticism. And when you get that, that's when you can get an all-star level player. So Shane Sharp, super young, still probably not ready to play consistent minutes, but he has flashy potential of... That's why he was the number seven overall pick, and maybe at some point he could become a really, really good player. All right, we'll focus on the good news while we watch this team play. I'll give them a chance. Let's see how let's see how they unfold. But uh, if you're a Blazer fan, I don't blame you for being disappointed with the news today uh, with uh, Gary Payton II now seemingly out for at least the first five games of the NBA season. Uh, coming up, we're going to play some punch it audio. We've got great sound coming up. I'm also going to give you the path that Oregon has to a potential berth in the college football playoff. Uh, as things settle down across the landscape of college football, it, I, I feel like the last half of this season is going to be all about the competition and the games, and I couldn't be happier about that. We spent so much time in the last two, three, four months talking about the uncertainty, the anxiety, the realignment, the expansion. I feel like we are going to be able to focus finally on the games and the games alone as this uh, college football season really ramps up. we got Punch It Audio coming up. Uh, great sound for you. Anna will pop into the studio. All that still ahead. I appreciate that you're here. we got one hour in the books, one hour ahead. Let's do it. B-F-F-T. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the bald faced truth. Well, the Heisman Trust just sent out their elector information, I guess, protocols. Meaning, I've got a Heisman vote, and what they do this every year to make sure that the person voting is actually the person who's supposed to be voting. It's a very complex, convoluted system that you have to navigate. It's basically an obstacle course. It's a digital obstacle course. It's, it's frankly no different than trying to get like the Pac-12 Network's games on the weekend. You know what I'm talking about, college football fan. <laughs> you know, you you go through that obstacle course. By the way, uh, I drove by a Taco Bell today, guys. There was a whole bunch of people lined up at the Taco Bell that is nearest my house. 
trying to spend $28 in the drive-thru. Are we saying it's a conspiracy that Taco Bell put that guy up to it to talk about it so people do it? I'm kind of wondering. I, I saw some people at the, at the station today eating Taco Bell. I think it's on top of mind kind of thing. Oh, I'll just go there. It's Because everybody's like, you can't spend $28. And then, of course, looking at the menu, I got to think they got a bump in business off that. But here's the other thing I noticed. There was a big giant sign out front that said, now hiring, uh, all positions open, seventeen fifty an hour is what they were paying at the Taco Bell. And it uh, it was interesting to me because it was evident. I was at a stoplight and I could look over. It was evident that they were understaffed. And they got a sign in the window saying help wanted. They got a sign out front with the seventeen fifty an hour. They got, you know, uh, you know, big line of cars that wasn't moving in the drive through. And I and they're not the only ones dealing with this. I think a lot of retail businesses are struggling with being able to hire people. What do you guys think is going to happen? What is going to be the net result when, of kind of this era where everybody's hiring, nobody really wants to take those jobs? Do you guys have a sense of what the net result will be? Because I was kind of wondering, like, from Taco Bell's standpoint, or any business, let's use Taco Bell as the example, I have to think that in that business, because there's such a long line in the drive through or business is moving slow or they're understaffed, that the bottom line is that their sales are going to be hurt, that they'll they'll take a hit there. But I'm kind of wondering, like, where did all the where did all the staff go? Where did all the people who were working those jobs go? And, and are they ever coming back or what would it take to get them back? Do you guys have a sense of that? You know, where did they go? One theory, one thing that comes to mind for me is that Amazon, I think, hires a lot of people. And I think a lot of those people work in Amazon. Um, you know, there's a lot of jobs now with, with Amazon. So that's just, you know, one specific thing that I think uh, comes to mind when it, when you wonder where a lot of those people end up working. Yeah, my theory is, is uh, I wouldn't say that, like, kids not kids but younger people they look down upon those jobs right like i think a lot of people my age you know it would like that was the joke is like you know when we were in high school it would be oh well you're gonna be pumping our gas one day right or you're gonna be you know giving me fries so i think kids nowadays like that are growing up they they hear those jokes that you know people my age made and so they look down upon those jobs Right, and they can go do something else. Like Sean said, they can go work for Amazon and do their own thing, or they can do DoorDash, or they can drive Uber. Like they can do a lot of other things that they don't even have to apply to get, and they can just start working. So I think they kind of look down upon those type of jobs, uh, and they just do other things. Yeah, and I've walked into one. We were we were traveling like two three months ago in the summer, and we stopped at a Taco Bell, and we went into the lobby, and they didn't have any employees working like the registers. They had a kiosk that was like a digital kiosk, and they they, they didn't have it staffed because they had no employees. Everybody's in the back, so you just place your order on the kiosk, and then somebody comes out and goes, you know, here's the order number. But it's it struck me. I was going like, are, okay, are those workers ever coming back? And if not, they're going to have to start paying people more to get them, and if they're going to have to pay people more, uh, we talk about inflation, uh, they're going to have to raise the prices of those bean burritos. Then it will be easier to get to $28, though. be much easier to get so, there. Yeah, it's kind of yeah. a kind of win-win there i think we sell we settled yesterday the the way to get to 28 dollars was to buy 18 tacos in a in a soda so there you go we figured out the we cracked the code we got it all right uh we're gonna play some punch it audio it's the best sound from all around we interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the bald face truth headquarters 
Hey, we're all about truth, justice, and the American way here, okay? Which is why we've spanned the globe and pulled the top audio cuts of the day. You're going to hear little snippets of sound. Hey, it's time for Punch It Audio. Presented by First Call Heating and Cooling. Well, the Astros got the better of the Mariners in Game 2 of their American League Division Series. Jordan Alvarez with a two-run home run in the sixth. Punch it. And that one's hit well deep in the left field. And Alvarez has done it again. Oh, my goodness. He has put the Astros in front. A two-run home run makes it 3-2 Houston. Came up big, 4-2. Houston is the final. Astros lead two games to none. Mariners now have no margin. Must continue to win and win and win. They get a home game, though, in Seattle. Game three coming up this weekend. Damian Lillard talking about the potential of a play-in this year. How good are the Blazers? Here's Lillard. Punch it. I mean, I would. that's not what I would want. But, I mean, if that's what it is, then that's what it is. You know, I'm not um, looking at it like, oh, it's the end of the world. We're a playing team. I mean, I just said, I'm. y'all been around me. I'm a believer. I'm optimistic. So, in that situation, I'll probably tell you, if we draw the, the right matchup and, you know, we playing well at the right time, anything could happen. But it's not ideal. You know, I would, I would like for us to be in a better position than that. Um, you know, but we'll see. Teams 7 through 10 will participate in this play-in tournament this season. If you're a Blazer fan, you want your team in the top six. But the problem is, unless there's some surprise in the Western Conference, the Blazers are right there on that bubble. They're right on that line. Are they sixth? Are they seventh? Are they eighth? They're right in that neighborhood as a team. And that assumes that they stay healthy and that Lillard comes back. I mean, there's a lot of ifs and buts. Uh, you know, I hope Damian Lillard's right, but this feels like Groundhog Day to me. And and I don't blame Blazer fans who are frustrated by it. Paul Feinbaum, Stephen A. Smith, they believe Tennessee will beat Alabama. Punch it. They're not going to win this game if Bryce Young doesn't play. Uh, they are not equipped to. This is not a vintage Nick Saban team without Bryce Young. Last week, they were lucky lucky to win the game it took really an amazing effort at the end to figure this thing out they are they are they're they're a troubled team at times they've made 49 penalties uh they don't turn they don't turn they, they don't force takeaways they don't do some of the things that we are used to and on offense even with bryce young guys uh it, it's not the same and Stephen a listen uh I, i'm i'm gonna yield my time to you because I, I i feel like you know so much more than all the rest of us about alabama football you've got the inside track to what nick saban is thinking so, so tell us what's going to happen to your team what's going to happen to your yeah, boys tell us for the first time since i've been sitting up i'm actually thinking alabama gonna lose a game they are both picking tennessee over alabama by the way first time that both teams have been undefeated to this point of the season where they meet first time since uh 19 is it 1989 wow this is tennessee's best chance to get alabama first time since 1989 where both alabama and tennessee are undefeated in playing bam there you go more stephen a smith 
Daniel Snyder's got a strategy. Stephen A. thinks he has it figured out. Punch it. What would you prefer? Would you want Daniel Snyder gone? Or do you want him to tell us all, all those, where all those other bodies lie? And all the things all of those owners and everybody else associated with the NFL has done. In other words, Dan Olofsky, you're making the decision. You can throw this dude in jail for 25 to life. Or you can negotiate and give him 15. Because guess what? He's going to give you dirt and about 20 to 25 other people that you can get them. That's basically what Dan Snyder is, is, is threatening. You try to take me down, I'm taking the whole house of cards down with me. And I got some dirt to do it, assuming this report is true, which we don't know. It does get very, very interesting because some of us think people assume, and it's an assumption, but you assume, yeah, we know what he is. We know who he is. We know how he can be. That's a problem. They need to do something about that. But when you hear, oh, there's a whole bunch of owners I got some stuff on, and the commissioner, and they can't touch me, then it makes you say, oh, and then, then whoa, 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 what do you know? You know, and that's the way I'm coming over with it. I think Stephen A. is on to something, and I think it makes sense. I think it's totally logical. The world that Daniel Schneider lives and works in is, uh, you know, a world where he knows some secrets. And I think you are going to find out that the NFL and the other NFL owners uh, aren't exactly pristine examples of humanity. And and I don't think that surprises anybody, uh, but... Uh, I welcome this. I think a little bit of sunshine is good. You know, it's. Uh, I think it's uh, it's the greatest disinfectant out there. Let's put some sunshine on the NFL. I'm all about this. Mike Florio, pro football talk, joining, uh, talking about Daniel Snyder. Dating back to July 1 of 2021 when they announced the punishment for the franchise, they were protecting him, not because they like him. They're protecting him because they're protecting each other. And one of the things they have to worry about is Daniel Snyder going scorched earth on people. And there are people who believe that he's the one who leaked the Gruden emails a year ago that had Gruden ultimately step down as coach of the Las Vegas Raiders. And I believe there's a concern that if they try to force Snyder out, not only will he use every legal means necessary to fight back, he will leak to media anything he thinks he may know about others he can take down with him so it's mutually assured destruction yeah mike florio talking about mutually dis assured destruction seth greenberg thinks the nfl owners will get more creative these are smart people punch it well there's league meetings in new york and downtown new york next tuesday and we'll see one of the most interesting things is that it, it takes three quarters of owners to vote out an owner the owners don't think that, the, especially the owners who are mad at, at Dan, even over this, I don't know if they think they can get to 24, but they've considered creative ways, maybe, of trying to force the team into the hands permanently of his wife, Tanya. And one of them is kind of an interesting technical thing, but they would jam him on a debt limit waiver. When owners build stadiums, they typically take out a lot of debt. The league has strict rules over how much debt they can carry. Now, most people think that Dan Snyder cannot write a check for a new stadium in the D.C. area and would need those debt limit waivers, including the loans that the league often offers. And owners have talked about not permitting him those waivers as a way, as a backdoor way to try to transfer permanent ownership to Tanya. Al Capone thinks this is a great idea. Uh, get Daniel Snyder on not his sins, but get him on, 
hey, his debt ratio is out of whack. Meanwhile, let's turn focus to college football where Josh Pate says Utah will beat USC. I agree with him, but why? Here's Pate, punch it. Desperation, which I think Utah has in plentiful supply, is a very, very powerful motivator. Conversely, USC has not tasted that blood yet. And I know it's always unpopular to talk like that, uh, but then again, how many times have you as a fan watched your team lose and then go on to do great things and said at the end of the year, you know, in retrospect, it's a good thing we lost that game. You know, we, we probably ultimately don't become the finished product that we became if we don't lose and have some adversity along the way. Well, that's fun to say after you lose. No one roots for the loss so that they can gain the, the ed education through adversity. I think Lincoln Riley knows. It's probably a little bit of a bubble about this team that will get popped. I mean, USC will get popped somewhere along the way. Uh, doesn't mean they're not a good team. It's just they're probably going to have a loss somewhere on this schedule. The sooner it happens, the better. Again, it sounds like I'm telling you he's rooting for them to lose. No, that's stupid. What I'm saying is I think in, internally they grasp they still have limitations, they still have weaknesses, they still have flaws, even though the record indicates to you they don't. So I think Lincoln Riley and his staff are probably a lot more realistic about where they stand right now uh, than some of the national punditry. Oh, look, USC's... It, I think they're doing better than I thought they would do. Like, I thought this was a seven or eight win team before it suited up and played games. I thought they would have bigger problems in the offensive and defensive line. I thought that uh, it was possible they would lose multiple games. I didn't think they were going to beat Oregon State uh, at, at Research Stadium. And yet, here they are. They're sitting undefeated. Credit to Lincoln Riley. Credit to his team. Give them some love. That said, here comes the big challenge. Going to Rice-Eccles, playing Utah. They're going to get other big challenges this season. But I kind of think it's going to be the most packed 12 thing ever in the next two weeks. I think Utah is going to beat USC. And I think UCLA is going to go into Autzen Stadium, and I think Oregon's going to beat them. And all of a sudden, you're going to look around the Pac-12, and you're going to go, hey, what happened to the undefeated teams? Not there anymore. Is the Pac-12 any good? Maybe that narrative starts back up. But I, I agree with Pate that... USC's not flawless. We've seen some of the blemishes, but I got to give them credit. They're winning the damn games. Kyle Whittingham, Utah coach, talked about USC. They play at Utah, 5 o'clock on Fox on Saturday. Punch it. So, uh, SC this week doesn't get any easier. Uh, good football team. Um, a lot of similarities offensively with us and them as far as production, very different styles of play, very different uh, philosophical approach, but we're both getting within four or five yards of each other, uh, total low, within a point, uh, a total, you know, total points a game. So there's a lot of uh, common ground there, but they're far more uh, spread it out, four wide receiver uh, sets than we are. So it's going to be a big challenge. We've got them at home at Rice-Eccles, which is a big plus. Our guys uh, really enjoy playing at home, and the home crowd gives us a big advantage. So it's, uh, we find ourselves in a very similar situation as we did last year. Uh, it's it's uh, very similar, and uh, we handled it well last year, and we'll see if we can handle it well this year. So that's where we're at. Interesting to hear Whittingham talk about that and talk about Rice-Eccles. That might be the biggest advantage Utah has in this game. I like USC's uh, ability to make big plays. I like USC's offense. I like their wide receivers. I, I think USC's defense has been more opportunistic. 
But there's something about Utah and Utah playing at home that is interesting to me. Stay tuned. Anna will pop in the studio. We'll talk more, and I'll give you the path for Oregon to the playoff. I've been promising it for two days. For crying out loud, it's put up or shut up time. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Anna's popped into the studio. Uh, Parent-teacher conferences this week. Kids are off school. Do you like when the kids are off school, or do you like them to be in school learning, damn it? (laughs) I like both. I like both. I think because we have um, the older one who's in college, it makes me appreciate this time more because I know how fast it goes. Yes. So the time that we have with them, uh, you know, I kind of, I kind of treasure it. I kind of treasure a day off where we can all just kind of breathe and go do some fun things. Story circulating on the Blazers front: Damian Lillard apparently, uh, you know, hung out with LeBron this summer. LeBron tried to recruit him, laid the pitch on him. Lillard's not having it. He's gonna stay. He's committed to Portland. All of this stuff. Um, this story bothers me, but not for the reason that people might think. What did you make of this, Anna? I was really fascinated by it, and it was actually last summer. Um, he was in Los Angeles to shoot a music video. It's reported by Logan Murdoch of The Ringer. And uh, the the comment that I really honed in on was Damian Lillard kind of trying to figure out if, you know, he was saying he had reached the point where I was like, is what I want the same as what the organization wants. And he's saying that he told the reporter that recently. He's saying, do we actually want to win, or is it a situation where we're going to be good enough, we know Dame is going to put his best foot forward, and it's going to be entertaining, we're going to be competitive, we're going to have a chance in the playoffs. I find it interesting that to hear that from him. That he, you know, these thoughts are ruminating in his head as much as they have in the rest of ours. Yeah, I think uh, too. He's like a lot of people. Uh, you know, anybody who's ever worked anywhere has to have at one point or another looked up and looked at the entity they're working for and gone, "Okay, are we trying to win here, or are we just trying to exist?" And I think in sports, it's quantified, right? There's a win-loss column, and you can see the the amount of money the team is spending in free agency, and you can see the draft picks and the free agent signings and the trades, and you can see what they're trying to do to move in a direction. So uh, I would also say this to him. I mean, like, look, um, the answer to that question may be that this franchise is just okay looking around the league and going, hey, as long as we make the playoffs, our season ticket renewals are going to be fine. Like, is he trying to win a championship? If he is, is he out recruiting other players? Because there's a lot of star players on other teams that are out banging the drum, like LeBron, trying to get guys to come play with them. Yeah, I mean, that's a good question. Um, the article seems to make it sound like, yes, he does still want to win a ring and that there's some meaning for him to stay in Portland and stay with Portland in the attempt to do that. I, I, I'm so tired of that storyline, though. It's like that feels like it's been the story for like three or four years now. Yeah. James loyalty, James loyalty, James loyalty. While he's getting the max extension, while he's getting the super max, while he's making more money in Portland than he could make anywhere else, um, he his loyalty, cool. 
Like, yeah, he's been loyal. Like a lot of other players would have left small markets and gone chasing rings. But he's also earned more money in Portland than he could have earned anywhere else by virtue of the collective bargaining agreement in the NBA. It gets I just I kind of just roll my eyes now when I hear kind of that loyalty storyline. And it's no disrespect to him. It's just kind of like, all right, like, you know, we're all loyal to uh, to a point with our employers. And in the NBA, the problem is you've had cases like Chris Paul leaving New Orleans, James Harden, uh, certainly Kevin Durant, who signs a deal in Brooklyn and then says, oh, uh, the GM and the coach have to go or I'm out. Like we have a lot of examples of players who, you know, put themselves first and they're very selfish. But I, I don't like comparing anybody to that level of selfishness and then just going, it seems like the bar's low. Like, okay, he's honoring his contract. He's That's really loyal. You're supposed to honor your contract. Mm-hmm. Well, like, to, that, to that point, Dame uh, Sportico just came out with the highest paid basketball players this year. Dame's number seven on the list. Is he the seventh best player in the in, league? or Including yeah. endorsements as well. Yeah. I mean, he's, 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 he's doing not, all right. He is not seventh best overall. No. He's, you know, he... Where do you put him, Stephen? And if you if you rank him, you know, how many players would you put in front of Damian Lillard right now in the league? Ballpark it. Uh, I ballpark it around ten, ten to twelve, probably. He's yeah. right around there. So he's doing all right. His loyalty has been rewarded. He also wants to win. Well, don't get hurt. Play better. Uh, let this franchise and put some pressure on this team to build. You know, this franchise to build this team around you. Uh, you know. Meanwhile. Uh, you know, on Jacoby and uh, Jalen and Jacoby today, David uh, Jacoby talking about Damian Lillard here. There is that that goal. There is that North Star that is seven foot four. It can shoot step back threes. Waiting in this draft, that's going to pull teams down in the standings. One of those teams will be the Portland Trailblazers. And you always said that Dame wanted to get that extension with the Trailblazers. He's got the extension. They're going to start out of the gate slowly. And then their front office, the new front office, is going to say, you know what? I like Victor Wembanyama, and I like Scoot. And we shouldn't be trying to get in the play-in to lose in the play-in and not even make the playoffs. We should be at the bottom. And Dame Lillard will be traded this season by the Blazers to another team because they're on the clock for the draft spot that could bring in Victor Wambanyama to the Northwest from France. I predict he will be traded this season. He's talking about Victor Wimbanyama, who is seven foot four and uh, you know, arguably the best player to come out of the draft, maybe since uh it, would you say that there's more hype around him than LeBron or LeBron more hyped? I think LeBron has more hype uh, than Wimbenyama, but I do think Wimbenyama, like I said, if they were in the same draft class, I think he's a better prospect. Be interesting to see how the Blazers approach that, you know. But Anna, you, I think a lot of people in the Portland market here. The season's about to start. The focus should should be like on how good this team is right now, but nobody's talking about that because it's not good. The focus is instead on. You know, here's the biggest story circulating around the Blazers. Damian Lillard a couple summers ago stayed loyal to Portland. You know, I'm tired of that story. I want a new story. <laughs> I, I'm fascinated by it because it included details like how it happened. They basically, you know, LeBron and Damian Lillard ran into each other on the sideline of a WNBA game, right? LeBron says, why don't you just pull over to my house and come on over? So he goes over to the house. He had a free day. 
they, you know, dine on Italian cuisine and expensive wine, and LeBron is just kind of casually trying to recruit him to the Lakers. Yeah, like, that whole dynamic I just find interesting. That's great. That's awesome. LeBron's doing a good job. Now, Lillard needs to be inviting some players to his house and giving him Italian food and wine and say, <laughs> come to Portland. Yeah, because if you're LeBron, he's doing a good job, right? You want Dame on your team. Yes. He's better than what they got. LeBron won that one, right? He didn't get Lillard, but LeBron, you know, he was hustling. I give him credit. Do you think that Damian Lillard is doing that sort of thing behind the scenes and recruiting people and, and you know, I don't know, and playing that kind of leadership role? I, I think it's interesting that in his time in Portland, no other blue chip, all star caliber player has raised a hand and said, I need to play alongside that guy. Now, I don't know if it's the small market that is Portland. I don't know if, you know, NBA players are going, I, I don't want to live in Portland. Or uh, or maybe it's, hey, there's only one basketball and Lillard's going to need it all the time. Uh, I'm not going to Portland. But it's it's the Carmelo Anthony's, the resurrection projects. You know, let's let's revive a guy's career. And it's fringe players who are overpaid. And it's young players drafted or guys like Gary Payton II that, by the way, they go out and their big free agent signing is a guard. Like, they didn't need a guard. You got Anthony Simons. You got Lillard. You're drafting a guard. Like, you know, it, it, it frustrates me that this franchise doesn't seem to have a plan. They, I, I still don't think they have a plan. Do, you know, to, that I point, know. to that point with recruiting, I've heard from a few different people, a couple of people I trust, that if it wasn't for COVID, the whole COVID situation happening, that Dame had been recruiting Giannis really hard and there was mutual, um, you know, mutual, uh, what am I looking for? Like, uh, they'd like each other. Interest. Yeah, interest. Mutual, mutual, mutual yeah. interest uh, of coming into Portland for Giannis. But again, it's unconfirmed, but I have heard that from a couple right. people. Well, Do it. The, the article, it the article in The Ringer was saying that, you know, it's crediting Lillard, who's obviously participating with the article, yeah. that he was so impressed with Jeremy Grant, his Team USA teammate during the Summer Olympics, that he, it credits him for kind of stealing Jeremy Grant from the Pistons. All right, but we, they need to do a little better, a little better stealing. You know what I'm saying? That's a, that's nice. Got some depth. That's a good addition. But uh, I'm still waiting. And if his career ends and there's never another blue chip player who says, I am willing to come to Portland and play alongside him, at some point I think we got to ask that question, like, why not? Do you, you know, was it us? You know, was it the tough media in Portland? Was it was it the uh, food trucks? Was it the image of Portland? I don't know. Do you blame Dame more or Neil Olshay? It's hard because I I think that really set things back. The whole Olshay tenure set it back because it was evident what he was doing. He was in Portland. He's the general manager, and he was interested in prolonging and elevating his own career. And some GMs will do that by trying to assemble a great roster and win games. But what Neil Olshay was doing was he was uh, taking a bunch of his own former draft picks, like Al Farouk Aminu and other guys like that, and Myers Leonard and Alan Crabb and Evan Turner and his signings, and he was giving all those guys all these minutes and extra opportunities to make the picks look better. Like, he set up C.J. McCollum, Damian Lillard, you know, Alan Crabb, Myers Leonard, that whole era. He set them up for numbers, not success, for numbers. 
And he really protected, I think, C.J. McCollum and Damian Lillard as his own coveted draft picks and tried to just put them in a situation where they could just score and score and score and play a whole bunch of minutes to make Neil Olshay look better, not to win games. Yeah, when I was with the Blazers, you know, it wasn't directly told to me that Dame and CJ weren't going to get split up, but it was kind of well-known, like, these two aren't going to get traded. Neil Olshay, these are his guys. He's going to ride with them. And like you said, he did a good job of continuing his career because they kept making the playoffs, and then he kept, you know, promising more, promising more, and then he would rebuild it slightly, then they'd be back to be okay again. So he did a good job of keeping his job. So it would be interesting to know if he was still in Portland, if C.J. McCollum's on this team right now, because I don't know yeah. that he would have traded him. No, he wouldn't have, because that's his draft pick. And it, once C.J. leaves the organization, he can't control who else is on the roster and how many minutes, and he can't get in the ear of his head coach and say, hey, I need that guy to play, and uh, you know, th- this is our pick, and we're building around him. And and we all knew, like, you know, it was. it's interesting. Like, there's, I think there's some real parallels between Larry Scott, the Pac-12 commissioner, and Neil Olshay with the Blazers. Both of those guys, they weren't dumb. But they were engineering the whole thing. It was about job security for themselves. It wasn't about winning with the Blazers. It wasn't about trying to go for it and win big. It was about making small moves that ensured that he never looked bad in a trade. He made a series of small moves. He was the king of the small trade where he would pick up a trade exception. I had uh, another executive in the league and multiple times when Neil Olshay would make a trade would text me and say, Neil picked up another quarter on the sidewalk. Like, he's just <laughs> making small plans all the time. But it, it, it did keep him employed. He took very few risks, and, and he kept selling the, the promise of a future. And Larry Scott did the same damn thing with the Pac-12. All those moves, like some of them ended up good for the Pac-12, but the moves he made were largely made to give him job security. Neil Olshay did the same thing. Like, it's, it's not new. I had somebody else in the... In the corporate world, in the Fortune 500 world, as I was doing like the investigative piece on the Pac-12 and Larry Scott and that whole series, I had somebody say, hey, what he's doing is not different than a lot of CEOs of companies that just kind of float along. He's just making the books look good. He's making himself look good. He's not taking any risks. Like, like there's a formula there in that executive world for, for you know, the corporate leaders to keep their jobs, look good, continue to get the bonuses, continue to be employed, get the contract extension, but they're never really trying to win because trying to win sometimes gets you fired. Leave it here. You got the BFT. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Five at five coming up top of the hour. 503-417-7575 is the phone number. The lines are open. We'll take your phone calls. Do you want to talk college football? Do you want to talk the Blazers? What do you want to talk about? Open lines here on this Thursday. Let's go out to Sean, who's in Sandy, who has called in. Sean, what's on your mind? Hey, John, I love the topic, and I I think you're uh, right on with uh, Damian Lillard. And I think... My opinion is a lot of the reason no blue-chip all-stars come here is who wants to come here and do the heavy lifting, be a two-way player, play the defense, and make Damian look good? It's just a chance to going on. You know what I mean? A guy like that went to a team that's already got more hope right now than the Blazers do. 
So, like, if anything happens, he's going, well, if I go down, I'm on a team that isn't going to be able to do anything. You know, and anybody can go down. Anybody can get hurt. And a lot of good guys these days want to be kind of uh, have a break now and then anyway. And I think Damian going to the Lakers would be a great idea because he can go down there with LeBron and get a championship or two. I know a lot of people don't like to hear that, but that'd probably be the best thing for him and LeBron and the NBA would just love it. And then we could tank for a year or two and get some really good guys. And uh, we're in limbo right now. This whole team's in limbo. Well, the whole franchise is in limbo, and and nobody quite knows what's going to happen with Jody Allen. She's going to have to sell the team at some point. Uh, I do not believe the Blazers will leave for Seattle. Don't ask me that. Don't call in and ask that because I'll just tell you what I think. I mean, the NBA is going to cash in on expansion with Seattle and Las Vegas. There's no way the NBA owners are going to allow a team to move to Seattle or Las Vegas because it will dry up $6 billion in franchise fees for an expansion franchise. So I don't think that is that fear is out there. But, yeah, I wish I, – I really do wish. Like, I'm not trying to be mean here, but Jody Allen doesn't know what she's doing with this team. It's it. She's the trustee. It's her brother's team. His wishes were not for her to hold this thing and put it in a headlock and, you know, have the Blazers just become irrelevant and – and, but sadly, that's where this franchise is headed. And so sooner that she can let go of the Blazers organization, the sooner the team will, I think, find its way. I feel like it's been in limbo for a number of years. And, you know, <laughs> as a kid who grew up in Portland, I hate looking north to Seattle because I just get so jealous. And, you know, you, you, like you grow up in the shadow of Seattle here in the northwest. And it's so frustrating to me. Like, I had a moment today where I was like, oh, that's so sad. They might have to rearrange the Seahawks schedule because the Mariners are in the playoffs and the stadiums are right next to each other. Boo-hoo for them. I was like, dang, we can't even get the Blazers going here in Portland. Know. You know? Yeah. Like, just just give us something. Give us some hope. Yeah, and if you're look, if you're up in Seattle, you got the Seahawks playing at home this weekend. You got the Mariners with a playoff game. You have Elton John, Elton John in town playing up there. Elton John, well, I thought Elton John was retiring. You have Washington playing at home against Arizona yeah. on Saturday. Yeah, but, it's like take your pick of really good sporting events to go watch. You know. Yeah. I. Uh, by the way, Elton John's at the Tacoma Dome. Oh, he is this okay. week. This weekend yeah. coming up. What happened to Elton okay. John? Yeah, Wasn't relentless. he? He was retiring. Yeah, this is like the most epic, like final world tour. It's just going to keep going on and on. He's like one of these mattress stores that says it's <laughs> that going out of out business. Of business. <laughs> you know, we're going, we're really going out of business now. I, last time I saw Sir Elton John, <laughs> we were in Vegas. Yeah. And I said, Anna, you'd never see him in person. And I, I said, we need to see Elton John. Yeah. Because he's retiring. This could be it. There was urgency. That was like five years ago. Yes. <laughs> and, and for his final number, he's singing like, don't let the sun go down on me. And he's going up wow. into the air yeah. on a crane. Yeah. And he's like, it's almost like he's ascending to heaven. Yeah. Sir Elton John. Yeah, it was we were, very rapture-like. I waved at him Yeah. from my seat in the arena. Oh, yeah. there's Elton John. We're never going to see him again. Goodbye. Now he's at the Tacoma Dome. There you go. That guy, he doesn't <laughs> need the money. What is he doing? I don't know, but he performed for like three and a half straight hours 
And, and like an hour in, I was like, how does he have the stamina to do this? I'm tired just watching him. There was a little too, there was a little too much Crocodile Rock going on that you night. You think so? I think... I actually think that less is more when it comes to those that caliber of musician. Like but he just wanted to play the whole medley. Like played he them all. played his entire song list. Every song that he's ever performed was embedded within that playlist. He played them all, but I think like if you're Billy Joel, if you're Elton John, if you're if you're the boss, you're Springsteen, you're somebody else. Like, I think you can get up and kind of do a little medley and get out of there. Mm-hmm. You know, do 90 minutes. Mm-hmm. He did three damn hours. Like, almost three and a half. I, I was, was done. Astounded, yeah. I was done at about two hours and 15. <laughs> I was like, I've had enough. I need to get into the casino. <laughs> so we're not going to the Tacoma Dome. Not going to the Tacoma Dome. Let's go to Josh, who's in Vancouver, wants to talk about the Blazers. Go ahead, Josh. Sean, this is the only place that I can get any radio where Rapture-esque coming from Anna can be slid into the show as it's just a part of a normal, casual day. (laughs) You guys are the absolute best. Hey, uh, i got to respond to something that last caller said that's kind of driving me crazy with Blazer fans, talking about trading Damian Lillard to the Lakers and watching him ride off to the sunset with some championships. Okay. Reminder, Blazer fans, if you send Lillard to a team, he's going to be traded for assets. And those assets are going to be in the form of draft capital. The problem with draft capital, for a place he's going to go and win championships, the draft capital will be trash. So let's stop talking about trading Damian Lillard to places where we can get something back and he can go win titles. John, you have hit the nail on the head repeatedly, and I so appreciate your your perspective. Jody Allen needs to sell this team. An owner needs to take over that has a vision, that has a passion for this team, that wants to take some sort of guidance over a brighter future for a team that currently is doing the best to doggy paddle in shark-infested waters and, quite frankly, drowning. <laughs> Damian Lillard is moving out of his prime, and his, his value is diminishing by the second. The best we can hope for is that we can keep moving forward with Lillard. He has an immaculate him to a team that, would, that has assets in draft capital and has young talent that maybe we can get relevant pieces to move forward with through a tank job, but that's got to be with an owner that cares about the franchise. Thanks, John. There it is. Well put. Wow. Josh in Vancouver. Bringing the heat. Brought the heat there. Dang. He's right, though. He is. Because if you're the Blazers and you trade Lillard for – you know, to a team, to a contender, you're getting the 28th pick back. And it's not enough. I don't know if he's right, but he said it so emphatically that I'm just going to go with whatever he said. <laughs> it's done. Whatever he that made guy it said. so easy. Yeah, yeah. I'm with him. Whatever he said. Yeah. Hey, <laughs> uh, who wins an NBA title first, Portland or Seattle? <laughs> Loaded question. So sad. That one really hurts. I was going to tweet it. Oh, I'll save that for some dismal night when the Blazers get beat by 40. Gosh. Um, look, uh, I I don't. Well, look, you're, tr- you're a Blazer fan, I Anna. I know. 
and it's so painful right now. Like, I just want a team that I can root for. People think I'm a hater when I, when I say, like, USC fans think I'm a hater. Like I've no, got, you're a quality I, control analyst. They, hey, I like that. I'm gonna say that. I'm gonna put that on the business card. But I just I I it's not like I root for the Blazers. I don't root against them. And I also sit here and go, I would really like to cover a team that is relevant. I'd like to be at some big time playoff games, but you know, before before I die, maybe. That would that be can we work that in? But I know it's not happening with Jody Allen owning this team, sitting baseline, collecting Giraffe bones and washed up threes. You know, it's like it. You know, we need better. <laughs> Fans deserve better. Giraffe bones and washed up threes. Yeah, in the same breath. There you go. I don't know, Stephen. You're in charge of this show. You're the air traffic controller. Do I need to take a break here, or can I go all the way to the top of the hour? Oh, we need to take a break here. All right, we're taking a break then. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. I was listening to an interview that Richard Sherman did with Marshawn Lynch, and something jumped out at me. They were talking about Russell Wilson. Anybody see this thing? You guys see this? Richard Sherman... Marshawn talking about Russell Wilson. Um, I saw. I didn't listen to it, but I did see it on Twitter. I just didn't listen to it yet. All right. So, it it was really interesting because Sherman kind of was kind of ribbing Marshawn, and he was, you know, and Marshawn said he really feels like reaching out to Russell Wilson. And Sherman was saying, you know, he kind of smiled and he said, "Well, why don't you call him? Why don't you call him?" But the inside joke was that they couldn't get to Russell Wilson. Like, they couldn't make a direct phone call. And Marshawn said, if I can't call you directly, I'm not calling you. Like, I'm not going through your person to get to you. Apparently, even Russell Wilson's teammates had to go through his manager to get to Russell Wilson. Does that surprise you guys, that the quarterback of an NFL team? The, I mean, these were other star players on his team. They say they can't get to him. They can't, like, text him. He won't text back. They can't call him. There's a there's an intermediary that they have to get through to get to him. Does not surprise me at all. This is what Russell Wilson is. You know, like, this is this is kind of the, the drag on him these days. You know, like, apparently he was at on a red carpet at some award show, and he wasn't letting paparazzi take photos of him in uh, Ciara. And, yeah, no, he's just kind of gotten really big celebrity. I think it's a big reason why he kind of wanted out of Seattle for all those years. And, man, like, for him to do that and with what he's putting out on the field right now, like, he's one of the worst quarterbacks in the NFL, like, right now. Do I believe it's going to continue? No. But right now, he's one of the worst starting quarterbacks week in, week out. And, um, yeah, so it's kind of hard to see him being this big celebrity and being kind of a, a drama queen, diva, whatever you want to call him. It seems a little weird to me. Like, that, I, that's weird behavior because I always, I always thought Russell Wilson was the type of guy that – was all about winning and like wanted to be part of the team and just get the Super Bowl. But that's if that's true, like that's not winning. Like if you if you can't be in direct contact with your quarterback, the leader of the team, then you don't care. Like you're not about the team. You're about yourself. So I, it is. It's weird, man. If that's true, it doesn't. I mean, so it does surprise me in that sense. But just based on how Russell Wilson's been kind of acting all year, man, it's not that surprising. But Sherman knew the answer to the question, and he says, well, why don't you just reach out? And then he kind of smiled. Why don't you just reach out, Marshawn? And Marshawn said, you know, if I can't get to someone directly, I'm not calling him. Sher like, I'm not Sherman going doesn't through. like him. 
Yeah, Kermit doesn't I, like him at all. I'm not, I'm not going through a third person. Now, this is not unusual. Like, I, I've been told that Alabama coach Nick Saban has a similar thing with other coaches and staff members at Alabama. They can't just walk into his office. You know, they, they have to go through his administrative assistant to get time with Coach Saban. But, you know, but I always think of, like, uh, somebody like Nick Saban's probably got a schedule to keep. He's got recruiting. He's got the – like, he doesn't want that. I, I would be really surprised if, like, Nick Saban's – inner circle couldn't like somebody close to him his athletic director his university president can they text him can they call him directly probably can but apparently richard sherman and marshawn lynch have to go through an intermediary to get to russell wilson leave it here the five at five is coming up next b f f t from the Pack West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the bald-faced truth. We got the five biggest stories going on in sports. For those of you listening on 750 The Game in Portland, we got, what, Thursday night football coming up. NFL Thursday night football right here. But first, we give you the five big stories. Here we go. The five at five. Jordan Alvarez played the role of villain again for the Seattle Mariners. He had a two-run home run in the sixth inning off Luis Castillo, lifted the Astros over the Mariners four to two, and a two-zero lead in the American League Division Series. Alvarez was the hero in Game One with that three-run shot off the reigning American League Cy Young Award winner Robbie Ray. Two outs in the ninth. Astros won that one eight seven. They won game two, four to two. Game three will be in Seattle. Alvarez had 37 home runs in the regular season. Left-handed hitter pointed to his parents, who are Cuban, watching their first postseason series. Av- he rounded the bases. Jordan Alvarez, a thorn in the Mariners' side. Daniel Schneider says he's got dirt on the owners. At least that's where sources are saying. Apparently, Daniel Schneider isn't about to be cornered without fighting back. A report written by ESPN basically pointed out that the NFL may have some stuff on Daniel Schneider, but he's not going to go quietly. Backed into a corner, fighting, kicking, screaming, Roger Goodell and the rest of the owners in the league have to be awfully nervous about what Daniel Snyder knows. But it feels a lot like we are about to see some laundry get aired. Keep an eye on Daniel Snyder and the Washington football team. That's what I'm calling him. And what happens with his ownership. Broncos quarterback Russell Wilson says his shoulder's getting better every day. That's story number three. He's taking a lot of heat for the team's two and three start. And that's what happens when... You take a bag of money containing $245 million in order to play. Wilson said he is physically ready to play for Monday night's game against the Chargers at SoFi Stadium. He's listed as limited on the injury report, but he was with the starters during the open viewing periods. He had a muscle injury to his uh, lat in his back near his right shoulder in the second quarter of the Broncos' loss to the Raiders. But uh, he played every offensive snap last Thursday in a loss to the Colts. He looked bad, though. 21 of 39, two game-crushing interceptions. 
Russell Wilson, and the Broncos getting ready for Monday Night Football. Meanwhile, in the NBA, Kevin Durant says Draymond Green's punch won't derail the Warriors. From a distance, the Nets star forward is watching this like everybody else. And he has watched the leaked video footage. The defending champion Warriors locker room has been rocked by this incident and the fact that it went public. But, uh, you know, Durant has been teammates with Draymond Green. And he said that verbal disagreements often carried over into the locker room. Durant and Green healed their relationship. Warriors went on to win big. But Durant also said, quote, somebody got punched in the face. It's no comparison to that. End quote. Is it going to be easy to get through this? No, but I'm fascinated by sociology experiments, and the Warriors are engaged in one. Will they be able to hit the ground running, so to speak, with Draymond Green and Jordan Poole? Keep an eye on that. Finally, Phil Mickelson back in the news. Phil Mickelson insists that the LIV golf tournament is doing well, and he feels like he's on the winning side. He sees the PGA Tour trending downward. Mickelson said a month ago that while the PGA Tour had all the best players in the world for the last 20 or 30 years, that will never be the case again. He came out even stronger in a news conference today for the LIV Invitational in, in uh, at Royal Greens in King Abadula Economic City. <laughs> Phil Mickelson mired in King Abdullah Economic City spitting his truth that is the five at five yeah liv cruising along phil mickelson russell wilson guys i want to can we linger a little on russell wilson because i think it's really interesting it i'm watching aaron Rodgers struggle i'm watching russell wilson struggle i mean these were two of the best quarterbacks in the league just just a couple of years ago which of those two guys has the better opportunity to turn things around in his respective city I think it's the Packers. It, the reason those two teams are struggling are completely different reasons. Both of them took a lot of money, and I think the Packers' case, Aaron Rodgers took a lot of money, and the team hasn't drafted wide receivers, and they don't have the money to pay wide receivers. So Rodgers just has no one to throw to right now. I mean, wide receiver ones like Alan Lazard. Um, and then the Broncos, they hired a really bad head coach. And Russell Wilson, I think, uh, you know, they, they prematurely gave him way too much money for way too long of a time. And th- it's just not going well. It's a, it's a brand new head coach, brand new quarterback. I don't think the roster is as big of an issue with Denver, but I, to answer your question, I think Green Bay has got the better shot because again, I think Nathaniel Hackett, he, he has a chance of being a one and done in Denver. I uh, disagree with you, Sean. I think it's the Broncos and, you know, Rob Walton, the new owner there, Walmart there, you know, they're going to spend money. And, you know, they brought in Russell Wilson. They spent the money on him. I think they're going to keep spending money and keep getting new players to try to fit the system. And you're right about Nathaniel Hackett. He seems like he may not be a great coach and he's in over his head, but I don't think the money's going to be a problem. If they want to buy him out and they want to fire him, they'll do that and go out and get a new coach and spend the money and get you know a Sean Payton or you know one of these other bright minds that can come in and maybe help Russell Wilson get back to where he was at in Seattle. So I I think it's Denver where Green Bay you know I I've grown up in a Green Bay Packer fan family and so I know that they're never going to spend money and uh, so I just I, I find it hard for Aaron Rodgers to you know have to you know. 
not know who his weapons are every single every single year. It's new guys every year. So uh, for me, I think it's it's Russell Wilson and the Broncos. I, I think when I look at these two teams, I I I like I like the Packers' chances of maybe turning it around better like this season because I just kind of think Denver is what they're going to be, and Russell Wilson looks like he's a little lost out there. But I I kind of like if you're taking the trajectory of a franchise. I think Denver's trajectory will be better. And I agree with both of you on the head coaching thing. Like some people just aren't made to be head coaches. And and I think Denver's struggling right now. And I think it was evident in week one, you you have a $245 million quarterback. You need a first down. You have five yards to go. You're out of field goal range. He made a a tragic mistake in week one. And I think think that week one debacle where they tried to kick the – 68-yard field goal instead of giving Russell Wilson a chance to get a first down, I think it kind of put the spotlight on Russell right away. It was almost like the head coach of the Denver Broncos didn't believe in the guy that the franchise paid $245 million to. It, it was a really puzzling move, and I wonder if that move by itself uh, fractured the locker room or broke Wilson's uh, confidence in himself. I don't know. Well, You talk about, like, a team losing a game and then losing the next week because of the the week before that that coaching decision could have basically cost like you said the locker room and the season for the Broncos like it was that bad of a decision my last thought on Russell Wilson I think he's lost his ability to be an escape artist and be a, a scrambler with his old age and a, he's a smaller quarterback and I think he's struggling because of that as well yeah, that's a good point all right coming up here on 750 the game in Portland you're going to get Thursday night football NFL Thursday night football we are back tomorrow. We have Jake Dickert, Washington State coach, among the guests on tomorrow's show. I'm going to ask him about that game at Research Stadium in Corvallis that he has coming up. Uh, that should be a really good interview on tomorrow's show. We'll go back through the picks. John Wilder, the Bay Area News Group, will be joining me on tomorrow's program as well a little bit, so I want you there for it. Uh, grab a podcast of this radio show. If you don't know how to find the podcast, ask somebody, how do I find a podcast? And search for John Canzano, Bald Face Truth. You can get there. Make sure you are signed up at johnconzano.com as well. Get a free subscription. Get a paid subscription. You'll get what I write in real time every day delivered right to you.